Hi, I'm Jacqueline Freeman. And I'm Sarah Korn. You're listening to Kitchen Table Alchemy, living in full color. This is a podcast for people who see and spread the magical in everyday life. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Come on, sit down at the table. Uh, Today in this episode, a response to Elizabeth Gilbert's TED Talk on creativity leads into a discussion on fixed versus growth mindset and questioning your intuition. Hi. So, um, so there's this thing that I've been thinking about for years, right? That we have these amazing creative talents that seem to burn out, uh, really early. Like when wine, Amy Winehouse died a couple years back, it got me thinking about it again. Like here's this person with this amazing amount of talent, like what a beautiful voice to be unleashed into the world. And, and we ate her alive, right? She couldn't make it past 30. And it's something that I've thought about for years and years and years. Like, what is it that we do to our creative, talented people that so many of them check out before they get to 30 years old? And, um, Elizabeth Gilbert's Ted talk, the elusive creative genius, I think answers that question for me in so many different ways. Um, so for those listening, we, we just finished watching this together um, and, and are just going to kind of talk about the ideas that, uh, that Elizabeth Gilbert, who is the author of Eat, Pray, Love, um, brought up in this TED Talk that she's got. So uh, you've got the link in the, crea- in the, the podcast notes. The show so check notes. It out. Yeah, show notes. Yeah. So check it out. So, so yeah, this is your first time seeing that. Like what, what struck you? Who wouldn't be? Right. Yeah. And... And it, it's, you know, that can be really depressing to think, oh, maybe the best work of my life is behind me. And so I thought it was really great how she talks about in the past, the way people thought about uh, creative, creative genius is that it wasn't just from the person. It came from some external source like uh what, what did she yeah, say so they called them? Um, I might mix up who did what, but... The Greeks and the Romans. Right, so she's looking at ancient Greece and ancient Rome. And for one of them, it was the daemon. Right. So, uh, and and for the other, it was that you had a genius. Genius. You that a genius was like a spirit that came to you right. and, and bestowed this yeah. creativity on you as opposed to something that you had. Right. right. So, yeah. So yeah. in the ancient world, it was that you had a genius mm-hmm. and in the Renaissance and the rational enlightenment, then we started talking about people being right. genius. And that yeah. puts a huge pressure on the person because now you got to be this genius but yet you don't have total control over it. You know, sometimes they're just things come to you and sometimes they don't. And so, but you still have to do the work and you have to show up every day working on your, your craft, your art, whatever it is. And, and especially in the creative fields, there's a lot of pressure to be that genius, but then it's like, but how do I do that all the time? Right. And, and so a big part and of how can I be a genius when like I have all these flaws, right. right? Yeah. Like then there's all that extra pressure on top of it or, um, and she alludes to this too, right? Like the, the question of, um, we put all this pressure on geniuses and, or creative people. And there's this, um, how does she phrase it in the beginning that this, this 
wondering about somebody's mental health. Oh, right. If they want to pursue a creative <laughs> career, career. Yeah. right? Like, oh, <laughs> like, are you sure are, you, you want to be do okay that? with that? <laughs> yeah, totally. And she's like, no one ever comes to my dad as a cre- as a chemical engineer and was like, wow, so are you scared that like the chemical engineering is just going to leave? I right, mean, yeah. You, know. <laughs> you have chemical uh, engineer block. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 um, uh, one thing that I've been doing in my writing work, because I'm also a writer, and as I've been working, taking these classes on screenwriting, um, the philosophy of this particular teacher that I'm working with has is really centered around a growth mindset instead of fixed mindset. And oh, there's love a Carol Dweck's yeah, work. Carol Dweck's yeah. book. Um, and so fixed mindset is that idea that talent is within the the person that that you're a genius you either have it or you don't is basically how the fixed mindset works and the growth mindset says talking about this this morning yeah that that it's talent is a skill right it's just skill building it's like anything else you learn the technique you practice the technique you improve your craft and over time you get better and you get to the point where you can create these really great masterpieces because you've learned how yeah. And right. and so I think that also helps create well, it's a little different than what Elizabeth Gilbert was talking about, but it 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 takes the pressure off in a way that you don't have to it, it takes away that question of, well, was I born good enough to do this work? Totally. And it's it puts the power back in your hands to where you can go and you can learn. You can say, "Oh, I can keep getting better at that." And that being said, there is definitely there's stuff that you can do intellectually to improve your art, improve your skill, but there's also um, what we call the intuitive work where you're tapping into your intuition, call it your subconscious, call it a, a spirit you know, out there, wherever, divine uh, inspiration, whatever you want to call it. There's, there's that process where you just sort of open yourself up and you let whatever is going to whatever needs to come out come out and express itself whether that's through a piece of writing or a, a, a visual art or whatever type of art your creativity you're doing you're you're allowing that creativity to express itself and that's that's a different process than the intellectual piece of the art which is where you're you're planning and, you know, so like in my case, planning out your story and how is it structured and, and, you know, what are the plot points and, you know, what sort of things do I want my character to do or experience? Those are all things where you can, you make these intellectual conceptual decisions about what you want to do with the art. And so there are times when, when you say, okay, I'm in this uh, conceptual mindset where I'm planning things and I'm doing that kind of work. And then there's other times where I say, okay, now I'm in an, I, I need to do some intuitive work where I'm just going to allow whatever needs to come out to come out. And then, and you switch it back and forth. Cause and I think I probably start, cause of course every artist has got a different process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, so I think Maya's probably flipped to the other way around. Yeah. And, um, and would probably start with the intuitive. Uh-huh. I love the example that she uses of the poet being outside working in the garden and hearing the poem thunder across the landscape. And uh-huh. she would go rushing into the house <laughs> to get a piece of paper and a, and a pencil to be able to write it down before it went, went looking in search for another poet. Right. Um, 
So, but I, I love that you brought up the fix versus mindset concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those listening, Carol Dweck is an educational psychologist out of Stanford that's done this work. And so when she did it, it was around education, mm-hmm. being an educational psychologist. It makes sense, as you would, that you would apply that there. But um, I started working with that idea a couple of years ago when I was an academic coach at a med school. And... Um, and saw that it applied to different places in your in your life, right? Mm-hmm. That it wasn't just about I'm smart or I'm not versus, um, okay, I have this much intelligence so I can develop what I have and make it make it bigger, make it mm-hmm. better, make it. Um, and I, I think if we can if we can use that idea of the fixed versus growth mindset, um, for those that aren't aren't familiar with Devex work, that idea of the fixed, I've, I've either got it or I don't, versus the growth, what I have I can develop, as you go down the line, it really impacts how we see challenges, mm-hmm. how we respond to obstacles, what we do with criticism. Right. Yeah, that's um, really big. Right, because when you have the fixed mindset, any sort of any challenge, like if you run into a, a, a problem, you know, the writer's block or whatever it is, it's it's crippling because right. it's like, oh, well, my it's gosh, I've, that you don't have it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 same thing. If something if there's a uh, something gives criticism that, oh, this part isn't very good or whatever, people take that personally, like, oh, I'm not a good enough writer. I'm not good enough to make it or whatever. And one thing that I found very helpful going back to what Elizabeth Gilbert said about creating that distance uh, is that I sort of see it as sort of like a parent and a child. And, you know, we've seen those parents who are super overprotective and if any, they're always trying to protect their kid and, and living vicariously through them and, and it's unhealthy. You know, and people can do that with their art too is, you know, if you criticize their art, they take it personally and they feel like it's a criticism of their talent and what they're capable of. But if you look at your art as a separate entity and say, okay, this is my work and your baby, right? And right. If it's your baby, you can't edit. I mean, if it's your baby, editing means cutting off its fingers and toes or gouging out its eye, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and she talks about this. Uh, she was here in the Valley um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Changing Hands Bookstore brought her in for, for a reading. And she had said, um, don't, this is not your baby. You're its baby. Mm. It shapes you. Right. Right. But again, she's moving from this very, I love this magical world that she lives (laughs) in. I just love this magical world that she lives in. Um, She's coming in from this very, like, it comes through me Mm -hmm. and out into the world. So I'm just this kind of conduit for it. I'm not Mm -hmm. the font and the source. I'm a conduit. So by it coming into my life... It shapes me, right? We're right. different people at the end of a project than we are at the beginning of a project. And and I think if we can, the, the, the fixed versus growth mindset makes it a whole lot easier to have a really healthy, positive, transformational experience with our work and with our creative life, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people have this very, the tortured artist thing going on. And so their work is this, this this awful thing laying on top of them that they've been cursed with, you know, and, and 
so they, pro- these are probably the ones that end up dying of overdoses before they're mm-hmm. 30, right? Yeah. Like, it's really easy to see how you yeah. can get there. Um, I, think, I think the baby analogy does work. Maybe not for editing, like you were saying, yeah. but, but in terms of, uh, but in terms of, you know, your child does, they come from you, yet they're not you. They're separate right. from you. And, and, the, and it's very, there is a very personal relationship there. Obviously you care about them and you're nurturing them and you want them to be the best that they can possibly be. But they're still not you. I think you might be and working from a pretty evolved uh, <laughs> idea of parenthood. I don't know. Oh, maybe. That, yeah. I don't know that everybody at the T-ball game has got that kind of idea of parenting. <laughs> maybe you're right about that. <laughs> so, but but anyway, the idea is that your work is it's a manifestation of the vision that you have for it, and sometimes yeah. what you get out on paper doesn't match what you want it to be or the best incarnation of what it could be. And so the solution to that is to say, okay, uh, I see that this as it's, as it is right now has some flaws. It has some things that need to be worked on and that's okay. I can go and I can work on it because it is a thing. Right. And right. so maybe that's where it's not like a baby. It's more like a sculpture or something, right? Yeah, like that you're creating the image of clay being thrown on a potter's wheel. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. And so it may, you know, let's say you're doing a self portrait sculpture or something. You might do it and go, it doesn't really look like me, you know? And so, okay, maybe it doesn't yet, but one, that doesn't mean you can't eventually get it to look like you. And two, just because it doesn't look the way you want it right now doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Right. And right? it doesn't mean it's not reflecting something true there either. Yeah. Right. Like letting, I think letting go of the outcome. And again, that's why that, that shift into from the fixed mindset to the growth mindset within that growth mindset. If I think, okay, well I've got this thing and whatever I have now I can work on then the way I approach challenges, challenges are just like challenges in the fixed mindset could prove that I'm not what I think I am. Right. They could pull the curtain down. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but challenges in the growth mindset are an opportunity for me to get better. Right. And obstacles are just part of the game Mm -hmm. instead of a sign from the universe that this wasn't meant to be, which it would be in the fixed. Mm -hmm. And then criticism becomes people, people helping me see where I can't see, you know? And the first time I heard, um, the first time I was exposed to Carol Dweck's work, I was at a conference. And so in this presentation, the the, the women presenting on it said, you know, people that are in a growth mindset embrace criticism. And I was like, yeah, my butt they embrace. Nobody (laughs) embraces criticism. Like you can be like, okay with it. You can learn how to deal with it. You can put up with it, tolerate it. Like, you know, I can like not not freak freak out, out. but, but, who embraces what are you talking about who are you hanging out with you know and then i started i started thinking about it when it came to the stuff i'm really good at and that i know i'm really good at right i know i know i'm a good writer i know i'm a good cook i know i already know i am so if i show a piece to somebody or i or i present a dish to someone and they're like oh yeah it's really good like yeah i know it's good but where could it be better? Mm. So I, I will actually like the person that says, Ooh, like I love the finish here, but your data glossé didn't go through well. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. No, it didn't. Yeah. What, how can I fix that? Have you dealt with that? Then I can learn from them. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was an, Oh, that was another piece of the, 
the fixed and growth is that how they respond to other people's success. Oh, right. When you're in fixed mindset, you're threatened by other people's yeah. success. But when you're in growth mindset, other people's success is exciting because it's proof that it can be done. And that you can go there too. Right. right. Like if yeah. they did it, you can too. Right? right. So if someone who's successful now gives you constructive critique Oh wow, that's like the best of the best, you know. So, so it it and does. Growth mindset people want to be around those people successful, successful people because they can learn from them. Whereas the fixed mindset uh, is threatened yeah. by. Those so they're going to avoid that and try to pull them down. Yeah. yeah. So you're going to get a lot of competition and all you know all that stuff, all all that office politics junk that makes everybody miserable. Um, so pretty much. It started in school. <laughs> yeah, totally. Let's face it. I mean, that's where we all yeah, first encountered all, it, like, I think. All offices are just full of like seven-year-olds. But um, so, uh, yeah, so I think if we're, if, we're, if we're working with that growth mindset, then it helps how we're dealing with the rest of these things. And then that opens the door for us to have a healthy, productive even fun relationship with our creativity and mm-hmm. our creative life, right? Then, then, then I can let this thing change me. Then I'm relating to it. I love her talking about that. You know, even if you don't believe in magical fairies or, you know, things smudging fairy juice on your project, <laughs> is that what she said? Um, like, even if you're not buying into that magical world, she's like, why not adopt this? as a psychological construct. Like Mm. it enables us to have enough distance that we're not crushed by the weight of this thing. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I think once, once there's the distance there, well now, now we can have a relationship with it. Right. So it it becomes about how do I have a productive relationship with this thing instead of always being, you know, at war with it and, and it, it taking me under as it has, We've seen so many beautiful minds go under with that, you know? Yeah. A few years ago, I read a book. I think it was Blink, um, where it was talking about so much of what we know happens in our subconscious. Because our conscious mind can only process a limited amount of information And the whole rest of our brain is there processing things, taking in data, sorting things, making sense of it all. And so in the book, it talked about how there were people who, um, I think on one example, they were examining a a statue uh, to try and determine if it was a true uh, antique or if it was a, a fake, a replica. Yeah, a replica. And, and, and that people who were really skilled at this could look at, look at it and tell, but they couldn't explain why they knew, right? There was, and it, I mean, I know you've had that happen to you too, where you just, you knew something, but you didn't know why you knew it. And, and to me, that was a really just mind opening idea because it was like, oh, there are things that my brain is doing for me and giving me information and I don't have to always be able to justify or to know the source. And so whether, you know, so whether you believe in mystical or, you know, spiritual sources of creativity and enlightenment or, you know, maybe you have a more practical approach, there's there's a practical explanation for it too. So I don't think it really matters where you believe the inspiration comes from. 
simply that you accept that it's there, that it's a part of our lives and that you're willing to embrace it. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, oh, something came to me and then it ran away. Oh. <laughs> I'll t- also, I'll tell you a little story while okay. you're thinking of it. So I had a personal experience with the whole fixed mindset thing. Uh, when I was in, when I was a teenager, I wanted to be a writer. It was about questioning our intuition. Go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, so I wanted to be a writer and, you know, so I wrote some stories, a little, you know, stories I made up and how old were you? And I was, I think that started when I was about 12. Okay. And throughout high school, I, you know, worked on these things and, and I kept, I kept getting stuck in the story. So I started to sort of run into this place where I didn't know where the story went after that. And, uh, and at one point when I was in, this was, I think my freshman year of college, I showed a story that I had started to, um, to a friend and asked them what they thought of it. And the response was, well, it's kind of amateurish. And that was like the kiss of death because <laughs> I, because deep down I suspected that all along that, that, cause I could read it and you know, and I knew that it, it just wasn't there. You know, it wasn't the same as the stories that I read and admired and, and from people that were 60 right, and 70 exactly, that right, working on it for decades. Right. These masters. Cause yeah. of course that's what we compare ourselves to, right? <laughs> yeah. Is, is, is the best. And, and so, and it, back then I had the fixed mindset. So I took that as a sign of, well, I guess I don't have what it takes to be a writer because yeah. I thought that if you had the gift that you could just sit down at your yeah. computer and whip out a masterpiece. Yeah. And I didn't realize that, oh no, so it's a skill. People. No, so many right? people think this. And I think a lot of arts have that, there's that concept that it's this thing you either have it or you don't, you're, you're a genius or you're not. And what's interesting is, so I, I then went on to uh, be graphic designer. And what's interesting is I never saw myself as an artist when it came to graphic design. In fact, I kind of made fun of the people who treated graphic design like art because to me it was a very practical thing. You're just laying things out and making them look visually appealing. And so I had this very practical approach to it. And then years later when I finally decided, this was like 15 or 20 years since I had decided that I couldn't be a writer, that I didn't have it, uh... I decided it was after I was re I was listening to a video, uh, and I forget now who it was, but the subject of the talk was loving yourself. Mm. And as I was listening to this, this, what would I do if I loved myself? This thought came to me of, I should write down my stories, mm. all these things that, cause I never stopped imagining stories in right. all these intervening years. And, and, uh, and so I said, okay, I'll do that. And so I started, I took, I went to this class on screenwriting and, and I realized as I was listening to the guy talk that he was saying, well, you know, there are, there are rules that you have to follow and things. And, and he's like, people don't believe me when I tell them that. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't they believe you? And then I just, I suddenly realized that there was uh, the part of me that was the graphic designer had the growth mindset about mm. being a graphic designer and just saw it as, oh, you just learn the skills. And, but I had had the fixed mindset about writing. writing. And so then that's when the light bulb went on and I went, oh, writing is like graphic design. It's something you can learn. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that for so many different reasons. Yeah, that's um that's beautiful. I, I and I love how how we do that to ourselves, right? Um uh Elizabeth Gilbert talked about that. Um, she talks about it in her book, Big Magic, mm-hmm. um, and she talked about it at the reading, how we have this idea that if we're not going to take the world by storm and write the greatest American novel ever written, that there's no point in even starting it, you know? Um, but uh, Brene Brown says unlived creativity is not benign. Unlived, what does that mean? Unlived creativity is not benign. So this this force, and you know, they talk about this in Jungian psychology as well. This we're all creative beings. We all have our own way of being creative. There's lots. There's so many different avenues. People are creative with Excel, right? That may be where their creative <laughs> right. genius shines, right? So. Um, uh, so we all have these ways of being creative, but we have our creativity shut down by a world that tells us if we're not going to be the world's greatest master at something, then there's no sense in doing it in the first place and shoves us into that fixed mindset of you got mm-hmm. it or you don't. Right. Yeah. But like you said, these stories never quit coming to you just because you shut the door, like you shut the door to your hand to get them onto paper. Right. But they, they were still inside. So if, if we don't allow for that to come out, right, because that is really life. I mean, that is the essence of life with a capital L is that, that creative impulse that, and if we're not giving it a chance to come out, then it starts eating us mm-hmm. from the inside out because it will make its way to the surface. It, it may chew us up in the process, but it will make its way up in the surface. And if we're not giving it, if we're not giving it passage, then the things we have to do to ourselves and to others to keep that pushed down mm. is really toxic. Right. right. Yeah. And within Jungian literature, um, they see that as as close to evil as it gets, right? right. They, Union literature doesn't really see, they don't have this like, blah, 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 like version of a devil or something, right? Right. Um, it's, it's shadow and unexamined shadow. And so you just have to kind of right. move into that and, and learn to integrate it. But, but, but that is an anti-life force. Right. Unlived creativity. Yeah. Is There's an that, it's that resentment force. where, you feel like you're something is being withheld from you. You're being deprived or starved of something. So we move into and, lack, and right? And so and envy and tearing right. And the response and, when you feel that lack is to want to go take from other people, right? And and or, or yeah. snuff their light out, right? So that we all sit in the dark. Yeah. 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 That can be that can be pretty toxic. Yeah, it's it's pretty toxic <laughs> stuff. So. Yeah. Um, and what yeah. were you going to say earlier? The so, idea came so, to yeah, you. So what you like what and what, when you said this about um, how would I love myself, mm-hmm. right? I think that fits perfectly into what was coming up before about um, like valuing those instincts and that intuition and not. Um, not making it explain itself, mm-hmm. right? And there have been certain things that have happened in my life that 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 um, 
brought me to places where I quit doing like 20 questions with my instinct, mm-hmm. right? My instinct would come up and I'd be like, you didn't require well, that an explanation. Right. From it. Cause right. before I did like, right. and, and it was coming out of not loving myself and self doubt and self hatred and self, you know, all these, mm-hmm. these really negative things. And, um, and so this instinct, this impulse, this, this light, this creativity, you know, and depending on the situation would come up in me. And, and then I'm like, well, where's that coming from? And how am I supposed to do that? And you're just being bitchy or you're just being picky or you're just being negative or you're being stupid and you've got your head in the clouds. Like whatever my thing was to douse that out, right? Uh, when those things came up, they, they, they had to go get data and bring it back to me. And they had to, right, there's all this stuff that my instinct would have to do before I would give it space and let it and listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Airbnb, I, I do Airbnb stuff. So like screening people that request to stay at Airbnb was one of the places where there are, I, I, where I learned absolutely no questions, right? If I, if I get an inquiry from someone and any part of me goes, that's it. Boom. No, no. You, she, she doesn't have to explain herself. She doesn't have to say why she doesn't have to, she doesn't have to do anything like yeah. that eh, is all I need. Right. Have <laughs> you, you know? read, have you read the book, uh, the gift of fear? No. Uh, and is I don't remember now who the author guy? is. Is that the blank No, book? that's a different person. And, and it's interesting because that approach is sort of looking at, um, people who are in dangerous situations and they, They blow off their instinct and then, you know, oh, that person really was dangerous and, you know, whatever, something really terrible happened. So, so he was, he's comes from, I think, a security bat or law enforcement background. And, um, so that was sort of the way the lens through which he was viewing it is that your instincts can protect you and that you don't always need a justification for them. Um, so, so that's, it's interesting how intuition can be something that is, uh, inspires you or helps you go in a very positive direction. And sometimes it's something that is going to keep you safe and help you avoid danger. And and I do remember when that book came out, I had a lot of concerns about like people just acting on, racist or sexist or whatever mm. kind of, because we have a lot of that stuff oh, right. programmed into right. our psyche as well. That's true. So that was my, it is I, more I, fear, I, fear based. Right. But of, I didn't yeah. read the book, so I can't, that was just my inst my instinct mm-hmm. of like, how is he handling this problem? Cause this is a big problem. Right. Um, but, but yeah, like those places can be the places where maybe, and just that's the way our brain works, right? Our brain is wired to solve problems to keep us safe. Mm-hmm. That's why we will tend to fixate on the negative and we have to train ourselves to focus on the positive because our our brains aren't really wired that way right now right, right. if i make a mistake <laughs> evolutionarily evolutionarily that could cost me death <laughs> you right. know right these days probably not right. <laughs> yeah know? that's the thing is that we still have this part of ourselves that that is looking at every situation like it's a life and death situation when in fact very rarely are we actually in life and death right. situations. So so yeah, most of the time we're not going to be in, in that extreme of a situation, but it's still valuable to use our do, intuition. Yeah. And we do the same thing with our work, things. right? Like yeah. we have this 
this, if there's some idea that comes, so when I'm cooking, for example, I call them the cooking fairies, right? <laughs> so the cooking fairies tell me to do all kinds of weird stuff all the time. And, um, and I'll be like, really? Okay. And so I just do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it really turned up after my, after my mom passed and my mom was an amazing cook. Um, and I was preparing something and I got this little, you know, I heard my mom say, well, you know, cut this up all the way to the stems. And, and I'm like, well, is that really going to be enough? I don't know if I, it's going to be kind of, and she, uh, in her typical fashion, she, she's like, you said you wanted this flavor. If you want that flavor, that's what you need to do. Right. right. Like, I was like, <laughs> okay. God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, so I did it, but so now, but I, I call them the cooking fairies and the cooking fairies will tell me to do stuff that sounds really strange. Sometimes you may think like, what, what on a seed in this recipe, how is that going to work? Right. But I don't, I don't necessarily need to understand that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if I just do it and then like, Oh, and I think, I think, when it comes to the creative process, a lot of the people that we see as being a genius as opposed to having a genius. Um, and it's real easy to get like hyper analytical about their work mm-hmm. and think like, Oh, this is so fantastic. Cause this folds into that. And this theme, like it's like kaleidoscopic, right? Their work, like it's, it's sort of fractal or kaleidoscopic that, these different themes and characters are reflecting each other in all these magnificent ways. And we think that for us to do that, we have to first intellectually figure out everything they did right. and map it. And then like, you know, put the map on the, on the window and trace the map and then lay it down on top of our story. And then we can start filling things in, Yeah, you know? And, and I don't know, I don't know that it always works like that. And I, and I think if we can allow ourselves to be open to the process and just let this thing move through us and not, not stop every impulse, like checkpoint Charlie, be like, yeah. but, but where are you going to fit and what are you doing here? You know, like, yeah. and just kind of let Prove it yourself. be right. <laughs> like just kind of let it move through and say it's peace. Um, that, that once we've put all the pieces together, that's when we start seeing this fractal or kaleidoscopic thing that can happen later. Mm -hmm. Right. But if we're, if we're, if we're sticking our fingers in it too much, Mm -hmm. then, then it just looks like shattered and right. It looks like a kid's like art project with torn pieces of tissue paper (laughs) instead of this glorious, um, this, this glorious, uh, like, stained glass mosaic mm-hmm. that it was in our minds. Yeah. Well, and I think too, there's a important lesson there of, uh, don't, you know, your artistic nature, your creativity is going to express itself in its own unique way. And so you're not trying to copy what someone else does. You can be inspired by them. You can borrow their techniques. You can learn from them, but ultimately what you create is going to be unique to you. And that's good because really, if you talk to artists, what are they always trying to do? Create something unique and original and, and in a way, you know, I've heard the saying, there's no such thing as an original ideal after what, right, right, exactly. And, and in a way that's true, but how you put it all together 
can be done in, in new and unique ways or just adding your own well, bit of flavor or something. ways instead of unique? If we use the word authentic Right, authentic, ways, yeah. Then, yeah. Then, then I just have to get out of the way, right? Yeah. Like, I just have to be real in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, and then what's real is, is, is the art. Yeah. As opposed to if I'm trying to, again, that's putting a lot of pressure. Like now, to be unique. Yeah. Now it has to be original and unique. And well, I think as opposed to just being authentic. If you allow it to express itself, then it will be authentic and unique. So it's so you don't have to try to make it unique. It's it's going to be that way just because that's the nature of it. Yeah. Yeah. For people who are not as practiced at uh, listening to their intuition as you and I are, what do you think are sort of some takeaways of sort of first steps? That's an awesome question. I, I mean, for me, I think it's just the knowledge that you can trust your instincts without always needing to know the reason. Is That's true. I, and there's good places to practice this, right? So um, one of the places where I practice things like this is traffic, actually. How so? Um, and I call it my traffic Jedi. <laughs> and so, um, so in tra- and traffic, uh, I used to joke that I, I, you know, I lived in the Netherlands for 10 years, so my bicycle was, was my only form of transport for a really long time. And I, I used to joke that I wasn't um, spiritually sound enough to start driving yet because I, <laughs> like, I can totally do road rage. Um, and uh, so the, so driving is a spiritual practice for me in a lot of ways. It helps me uh, hone my intuition. It helps me work with, shadow stuff that comes up. So, so I, I end up using that time as a practice time. So, so something, so the traffic Jedi, um, is, is just kind of dropping down and sensing what people around me are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now like I, I can always tell when someone is getting ready to come into my mm-hmm. lane. Right. And depending yeah. on where you live, um, you, you may have lots of pe- people may never ever signal, right? <laughs> um, you might be yeah. in in a in a beautiful uh, paradisical land with unicorns where everybody does signal before they come over. But I think most of us probably live in a place where they don't. And so, if you start dropping down and just paying attention to the sense, you can start feeling people's impulses. Yeah. So you know that they're going to come over. Yeah. Um, and so you can do what you need to do. To not get hit when they do that. Right. Um, so you obviously have to be focused. You can't be distracted mm-hmm. driving and doing this. You have to be focused. But um, and and you can also push your energy back. Right. So um, so if I can feel that somebody wants to come in my lane, then I'll just kind of hold my hand up, like, hey, 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 I'm over here in your blind spot. Just let me get past you first, right? And there's been several times that I'd see someone start to drift, and then they they jerk back, right? Mm-hmm. Because something tells them, look over your left shoulder, right? Right. So they do, and they see me, and then they pull back. So, um, and then that helps my road rage a lot. So it was kind of like it helps me hone my intuition and listen mm-hmm. to my intuition, um, and it helped my road rage. So right. it was like it's it's got multiple things. But that could be a practice that people use to see, like, I feel like this guy's getting ready to come in my lane and see if they do, and then start uh, working your traffic Jedi from there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about you? What would you say? Yeah. Would be a- and uh, I think another thing, too, is 
you know, as far as listening to your instincts and, and then, um, asking yourself where stuff is coming from. And I know you mentioned earlier about, well, maybe you're listening to stereotypes or things like that. And I know I've had that happen where I reacted and then went, why did I react? Oh, there was a stereotype there that was, you know, I've just sort of picked up over the years. And, and, um, so, so one thing that I have found, uh, in writing, there's this thing called the resistance mm. and, I can't, I'm blanking now on who wrote about that. Um, there's a great book um, where he talks about the art of resist, or maybe it was the art of work. I'm not sure. But anyway, he talks about the resistance, which is this part of you that is trying, uh, that is resisting your project. It's resisting whatever this thing is that you're trying to create because there's a risk there. There's the risk of failure. There's the risk of it not working out or it reflecting badly on you. And so um, in that book, he talked about, like, it's this dragon and you have to do battle with it every day. And um, uh, and I see it more as sort of like that overprotective mother who's like, oh, don't try any. Oh, no, don't do that, honey. You know, just stay here where it's safe, you know. And uh, And so however you look at it, there are times when you have impulses that are coming from that place of fear and or ego and that's afraid and and usually I can tell if it's something where I'm afraid of failure I'm afraid of judgment or looking bad or what will people think those are usually instincts that are coming from that fear place does it feel a certain way in your body when you have that No, but I don't pay close attention to that like you do. (laughs) Maybe you would if I, if I looked, but, um, uh, there's more of a tension that comes with those kind of, uh, feelings. And I don't know if it's a certain part of your body, but just, you know, when you feel tense, um, that usually comes along with that. Whereas when you have an intuition or something that is something that I want to listen to, it's usually more of a like something um just kind of like 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 the poet that was talking about the the it was moving an air through. like the yeah. move right more of a it's moving through it, it's sort of like uh a breeze blows in and drops something in front of you kind of thing i think is a little bit more so how that so feels. open versus restricted right yeah yeah okay so your thing would be to, to just to ask people to pay attention to those impulses. Right. And when you have an impulse, is what is open? it and where do you think it's coming from? You is know, it open is it, and is it restricted? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. just pay attention. No judgment. Right. Just, just watch and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thanks for joining us today. You can find show notes with links to the authors and resources that we discussed today on our website, and that's kitchentablealchemy.com. Also, we'd love for you to join us around the digital campfire on our Facebook group and keep the conversation going there. Just log on to Facebook and search for Kitchen Table Alchemy. Thanks for listening. We loved having you, and we look forward to hearing your responses and experiences online.